Okay, I would like to focus also this afternoon on Mark chapter 15. Mark chapter 15, and we'll read verses 33 to 41. 33 to 41. You'll notice that the last couple Sundays we looked at the response to Christ going to the cross and on the cross. And we saw from the soldiers, there was a response of mocking, verses 16 through 20. They just simply mock him. And then the true, sorry, the chief priests and the elders among the Jews, they're also mocking him. So he had the whole world, in a certain sense, mocking him, the Gentiles and the Jews. They're mocking, they're mocking. And now today we're going to focus on one who confesses. And you see, there's only one of two responses in the world. There is no neutrality here. It's either a mocking of Christ or it's a confession of Christ. There is no gray area. And you'll notice here, too, we're going to see the confession of the centurion today. It's a public confession. It's a bold confession. It's a confession of the truth. And you contrast that with the muckers. It was also public. They're very loud. But it was not courageous. It was cowardly. And it was not true. It was falsehood. And people tend to believe the lie, right? People tend to believe the falsehood. And that's why you see the majority, like you see in the world today, pushing falsehood. And in the midst of it, you have this confession for one who worshipped other idols, the Roman centurion. It's beautiful when you see that. So yeah, Mark really just brings that out. There's only one of two responses. There is no someone, there's no one in the middle here. No one in the middle in the world. It's either mocking or confession. It's just, <laughs> it's just so clear in the Gospel of Mark. But with that in mind, let's read together uh, verses 33 to 41. Jesus dies on the cross. When the sixth hour had come, there was darkness over the whole land until the ninth hour. And at the ninth hour, Jesus cried out with a loud voice saying, Eloi, Eloi, lama sabachthani, which is translated, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? And some of those who stood by when they heard him said, look, he's calling for Elijah. Then someone ran and filled a sponge full of sour wine, put it on a reed and offered it to him to drink, saying, let him alone. Let us see if Elijah will come to take him down. And Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. The veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, truly this man was the son of God. There were also women looking in from afar among whom were also Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, the less, and of Joseph, and Salome, who also followed him and ministered to him when he was in Galilee, and many other women who came up with him to Jerusalem. Before we uh, focus on verse 39, let's sing together 346. 346.
confession is Jesus is the son of God and this song sings of that. verse again, verse 39, and it's in response to verse 37 in particularly. Verse 37 says, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. And in 39, we hear these words, when the centurion who stood opposite him saw that he cried out like this and breathed his last, he said, Truly, this man was the Son of God. So no doubt, the reason for this uh, centurion's confession was really that the grace of God was at work in his heart. There's no doubt about it. That's the way everyone, that's the way anyone comes to faith, is only when the grace of God works in the heart of a person, and that person responds in faith. But what is it? How did God... Bring the centurion, what did God use to bring the centurion to faith in the crucified Savior on the cross? And you think, well, perhaps we might think, well, perhaps God used some of the miraculous signs that you see occurring around the cross, like the three hours of darkness. 
those three hours of darkness, by the way, were midday from 12 o'clock noon to 3 p.m. Perhaps he was haunted by that, and that enabled him to bend the knee to Christ. Was it that? Maybe it was the dividing of the curtain, the tearing of the curtain to two in the temple, the moment that Jesus breathed his last. Right? We read that the temple curtain was torn in two from top to bottom. But it wasn't these signs that ultimately drew the centurion to faith in Jesus. What is it? Mark mentions that it was how Jesus died on the cross. The focus is on Jesus, not the signs, not the miracles. The focus is on Jesus and how he died. This man had, was, was impressioned. He had great impressions by what he saw. He was so affected emotionally affected, intellectually affected by what he saw on the cross. He was affected how Jesus died. You notice what our text says. He stood opposite of Jesus, and he's observing Jesus intently, closely, surveying the cross, perhaps from 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock, just looking, stirring, Verse 37 tells us how Jesus died on the cross. How did Jesus die on the cross? And you think, really? That's what drew him? It simply says, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. What's, what, what, what is it about it that drew him to Jesus? Well, normally those crucified were not conscious when they died. They were not aware anymore. They were so weak. They were so exhausted. They were unaware. They were unconscious. But Jesus is fully aware, fully awake, fully conscious until his very last breath. And at the very moment of his death, notice this, Jesus still cries out with a loud voice. That's not weakness. That's strength. Loud voice. A voice that could be heard around the entire area around the cross. This voice, this cry shows that he did not die the ordinary death of one normally crucified on a cross. There's something unique, something entirely unique about this moment of Jesus' death. And notice, his life was not taken away from him. No, he gave his life. John 10, 11, right? It's, it's not that they took his life away from him. It was at this moment, all things were fulfilled. He gave his life. He laid down his life for our sins, for the sins of his sheep. John 10, verse 15. And it's that that moves the centurion to conclude this man was the son of God. And when you hear this confession, let that confession be an encouragement to us to confess publicly, to confess boldly, because it is the truth. He confesses the truth. And we're going to see those three things briefly this morning, this afternoon. First of all, it was a public confession. I mean, think about who this man was. He was a man of high class. 
You belong to the higher echelons of society. A centurion. What was a centurion? A centurion was a soldier. In this case, he was a Roman soldier, a Gentile, man of high position, probably good pay, high respect in society. He was a commander over a hundred soldiers. So you can imagine having hundred people under you. That word centurion, what word do you see in there? You hear the word century. So century literally means a hundred. So centurion would say, okay, it has something to do with a hundred. But in this case, it had to do with him having a job or a work or a command post where he had a hundred soldiers under him. So yeah, this man was in the business of what, what kind of business? He was in the business of nailing people to the cross, criminals. That was his work, right? Carrying out, executing criminals. He was in charge also of the crucifixion of Jesus. He's the one who heads the way. He's the one who was on duty with his execution squad to nail, to crucify Jesus on the cross. And therefore, this centurion knows. He knows from experience how people normally died on the cross. They're asphyxiated, right? It's a terrible way of dying. But Jesus didn't fit the pattern. How? It's how that Jesus died. That's what God uses to bring him to this confession. It's a public confession. He didn't keep it to himself. He must have pondered for a long time. He must have thought about it for a long time, but he didn't remain silent. He didn't keep it in his heart. Luke says, for out of the abundance of the heart, the mouth speaks. What comes out of your mouth? That's what lives in your heart. And this is what came out of his mouth. So affected was he. So emotionally affected. So intellectually affected. So convinced. So persuaded. That by God's grace, he just blurts it out. Loudly. Truly, this crucified man was more than a mere human. Truly, he's the son of God. You know, in that confession, what's he confessing? He's confessing that he is wholly innocent. Christ is innocent. That Jesus is the son of God, very God. It's not a private confession. After all, this is who he is. If this is who he is, declare it. He's the son of God the one who made the heavens and the earth, is public for all to hear. In this confession, that truth rings out in the darkness. I mean, this is the light. This is the light that comes from him. It rings out in the darkness, pitch darkness, right? From 12 o'clock to 3 o'clock. And it's for all the world to hear. The world that mocks. The world that crucifies the world that persecutes is for all the world to hear before the Roman soldiers who mocked him, verses 16 through 20, and before the Jewish priests and the scribes who mocked him, verses 21 to 32, before the Jewish bystanders, the chief priests and scribes, the robbers who mocked him. Oh, yeah, by the way, and the women are there too. They're not mocking on they're not mocking. They're just looking on from afar. Among whom were Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James and Joseph and Siloam. But by far, most of the world that was there, 
that was, you could say, representative of the entire world. They were there mocking Christ. Hey, where were the disciples? The ones who were with Jesus all those three years. Are they there? <laughs> no, nowhere to be seen. They fled. They forsook him. Well, except for one. One was there. You read in John 19. John, right? John was there at the cross. But Peter, he denied Jesus publicly. And here, a Roman centurion confesses Jesus publicly. Think about how God uses simple things to shame the wise. Truly, this man was a son of God. You know, you see the wonder here, but that's really the wonder of God's grace at work in our lives too, that we can confess. That public confession of the centurion is also, we see in the second place, a bold confession or a courage, courageous confession. You know, when we're convicted of the truth, we believe it, right? And if we believe it, we also have the courage to confess it. It's just one goes with the other. You believe it, and if you really believe it, the courage follows to confess publicly. Here the centurion stood opposite the cross. He's watching, he's wondering, he's surveying the cross, and he becomes convinced. This man was in a crowd who were, for the most part, not followers, not confessors, but mockers, insulters. And so he confesses Jesus, and here's where the boldness comes in. He confesses Jesus in a crowd hostile to him. He sees no criminal. He sees the Son of God. Yes, he goes against the stream of public opinion. Public opinion said this, but he sees differently by the grace of God. No, he stands alone. It's kind of like Martin Luther. Here I take my stand and I can do no other. He stands alone, it seems, in this confession. It's certainly not the way most are thinking. And I think sometimes we find ourselves in a similar kind of environment, right? We, we live in neighborhoods. We have workplaces. We come into social atmospheres where people just think differently about Jesus than you do. And a lot of them think you're a little bit crazy for what you believe and for the strength of your belief. They think you're kind of arrogant. They think you're, how come you think you know it all? Well, imagine this is the kind of environment this man was in. Think about the centurion. He risked his position. He risked his office. He risked his life. This is how important this confession was to him. Truly, this man was a son of God. It was for this reason, this very reason, Jesus claiming to be the son of God. Remember, that was the reason why the Jews wanted him to be crucified. <clears throat> because he claimed to be son of God. You see that in many Areas of the world today, too. Christians who confess to Jesus, the Son of God, off with their heads. It's not new. This man was taking a risk. It was the religious leaders, particularly the scribes and the elders, 
who were compelling uh, Pilate and the Romans to crucify Jesus. And now a Roman centurion comes to faith. Truly, this man was the son of God. He takes a stand. He has courage to stand in the midst of a militant crowd. But you know, it's so beautiful here. It's a courage that God gives in his grace. It's, it didn't come from this man. God gave it. And it's, it's wonderful to know that God can give it to us too. And he does when we ask. The courage to stand. The centurion was not really risking his life. Not really. Because through Jesus' death, he gains life. True life. Eternal life. He gains a new status, a new position. A centurion, a soldier, crucifying Christ, becomes one who becomes a soldier of Christ. He joins the army of Christ. Battling the world with the truth of who Jesus really is. The world is around him. The darkness. And he goes forward with the light. With the triumph of this truth. It's a contentious confession, no doubt. Because when Mark was writing this, uh, the believers in that day, they made the same confession. And that confession was in direct collision with the worship of the Roman Empire. Sorry, the Roman Emperor. Caesar Augustus was also called the Son of God, by the way. They were considered sons of the gods, and everyone had to worship him. Now imagine, kind of like Daniel, standing among the idolaters, and in person, or Daniel, three friends standing up and saying, there is no other. Jesus is the Son of God. This is what the Roman during his confession. There's no other king but Jesus. He's the king overall. He alone is God's son. Boy, that confession could get you into big trouble today. It gets us into big trouble. But it's a good kind of trouble. It's necessary. How else would they hear? How else would they know? People should see it. First of all, in our lives. Our lives should be bearing that testimony. Right? By the grace of God. Our life. Our lives as families. But also from our mouth. No, our culture doesn't tolerate that kind of confession. Jesus alone? Only Jesus? Oh, watch out. People would say, no, no, no. Say there's many ways to God. At least that's peaceable. Yeah, but it's not the truth. It's not bold. It's a form of mocking Jesus. Even those who say that. That Jesus is one way among many? That's mocking him. There's only one way. He alone is God's son. There is no other king and savior but Jesus. There is no salvation outside of him. Absolutely not. There is no salvation. All glory go to Jesus. Because he purchased that salvation. Finally, you know, it's a public confession. It's a bold confession compared, compared in contrast to the the cowardly responses you hear from the world. And that's what it is. Cowards often act like lions. They growl. But inside they're like mice, scared and squeaky. But this man is a giant by God's grace. He stands. And finally, you see that 
what he confesses is really the true confession. Verse 37, we read, Jesus cried out with a loud voice and breathed his last. In verse 39, the centurion saw that. Jesus cried out like this and breathed his last. But look at that verse in between. Really, really important. It takes us from the hillside into the temple area. And we read in verse 38, then the veil of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom. So that's the verse in between from what he saw and what he confesses. That veil is really important. It was that heavy curtain in the Old Testament in the temple, the Old Testament temple. It was a heavy curtain that separated the most holy place from the holy place. And the tearing of the temple veil shows the breaking down of the barrier which kept men and women from God's presence because of sin. It was insulation that kept sinful people away from a holy God. No one was allowed to enter into the presence of God except for the priest once a year, the high priest, and that with blood. Who tore the curtain in two? Notice, it was torn not from the bottom up, from top to bottom. The invisible hand of God. The way to God is open. That's the message here. The way to God is open through Jesus. And now returning to verse 39, we learn that a Gentile centurion, a soldier, he's the first one who benefits from that new access to God. He now enters into fellowship with God by the blood of Christ. If you look at uh, Hebrews 10, 19 and 20, it says, Therefore, brothers, having boldness to enter the holiest, that's the most holy place there, how by the blood of Jesus, and it goes on to explain a little bit more, by a new and living way he has consecrated for us, that is through the veil. What's the veil? His flesh, which was torn. It's by his blood that we have access and fellowship and glory and peace and joy and forgiveness. It's by him that we have fellowship with the true and living God. Truly, this man is the son of God. Jesus has opened the way by his death into the very presence of God, forgiving the sin of all who trust in him, no matter caste, background, religion, all who confess him, that he is the son of God, enter into fellowship. Christ has secured that fellowship with the Father through him. Jesus, the son of God, as you read through the gospel of Mark, this is what Mark's theme is all the way through. Go back to Mark 1, verse 1, the very first verse in the Gospel of Mark. It says here, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. That's where it begins, the very first verse. And this is where Mark concludes with a confession. Jesus is the Son of God. That's the good news. Now, that has been the focus that has been the theme of Mark's gospel from start to finish. 
Okay, but now if you go a little bit further into Mark 1, it's also at the beginning of Mark, you notice that the tearing of the veil in the temple compares with the tearing of the skies, the tearing of the heavens at Jesus' baptism. Remember how the heavens were split apart and the Holy Spirit came down when Jesus was baptized? The Holy Spirit descended upon Jesus. And then a voice came out from heaven. And what did that voice say? You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. (laughs) There you see here the father's words. You are my beloved son with whom I am well pleased. And now with the tearing of the veil, we hear the confession of the centurion. Yeah, truly this man was the son of God. What's going on here is God speaking through the centurion. God uses the confession of this centurion to declare to all the world that the work of his glorious son, the work of his beloved son is finished. His mission is complete. It began at his baptism. His mission began there to take upon himself the sins of the world and now is fulfilled And the centurion declares that. The father, you could say, speaks through the centurion. And the centurion bears witness to the loveliness of his son. He got it. He cut through the lies and the falsehood of those around him. For God so loved the world that he gave his one and only begotten son. Truly this man is the son of God. He bore the curse on the cross for you and me, for sinners. It's the one who cried out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me so that all who believe in him may enter into his presence, the holy of holies, and know that they're forever accepted by God. Rich and poor, prime ministers, and those in prison. Makes no difference. There's one way. There's only one way that God accepts us. And that's through the one. Whom he gave on the cross. Our Lord Jesus Christ. The confession of the centurion. The commander of a hundred. Has not only blessed hundreds. But millions upon millions. Since then. It's a public confession. It's a bold confession. And it's a clear confession of the truth, which cuts through all falsehoods. This confession of the world's only hope, the only hope, may God's grace in the life of the centurion be in May we be soldiers of Christ, courageous confessors of the truth, to a dying world. You know, millions are perishing from the sin virus. We have to say that. The sin virus is killing millions. Do you hear much about that? It's a dire emergency. This emergency needs to be declared. And there's only one effective cure. And it's 100% effective. And that's the blood of Christ.
look to Jesus who died in our place to give eternal life. The churches need to be open. They're the clinics, the only clinics that can really give the salvation the world needs. It's Good Friday. It's Good Friday. Let the world know and let the world know why there's a cure. There's a cure to this terrible virus, sin virus, and that's found in the Lord Jesus Christ. Amen.